you ready? Okay, I'm ready. The Jesse Blake Sports Report. Really? Oh, wait, really? The Jesse Blake Sports Report. That's it? Don't forget, it's the Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. <laughs> you know, that's kind of redundant. Dude, is there a problem? No, no, that's fine. I, I just, you know, I thought maybe you guys would come up with something, you know, good. Man, I just read it. You know what? Doesn't matter to me. I get paid by the word. <laughs> Let's do this. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. We are being joined by S. Barahaney, digital content host and producer for The Score. Find all of his work over at The Score's YouTube channel. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Great follow. And uh, S., you don't know this, but you won an award today. What? Yeah, today you became the first ever two-time guest on this podcast. Congratulations. Well Thank done. Thank you. Hey, you know what? Uh, I just want to thank my mom. You know, we we really <laughs> we worked for this. You know, shout out STPN. You know, we're here. Mm-hmm. You uh, gotta thank God. Yes, yeah. Thank God. Thank my mom. Thank thank everybody who doubted me. You know, <laughs> the person across the street who always says that they'll mow my lawn. Appreciate you, man. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the haters, real ones. Yeah, yeah. All the haters. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, congratulations on on that award. It comes with nothing. <laughs> you, you win. Uh, so NBA Finals. We're here. We're finally here. It feels like it's taken forever, uh, these playoffs. But it's been a really good playoffs after like a little slog at the beginning. You know, I think we got a good good uh, couple of rounds there. Um, the lines here on Sports Interaction. Golden State, they're the favorite. 1.62. Boston, 2.21 as the underdogs. I want to talk about what a championship would mean for each of these teams. So... Let's start with the Warriors because I think I think that's a little bit of the juicier storyline. Because sure. with the Warriors, we have an era before Kevin Durant and an era after Kevin Durant, and we have the four key pieces that have been there throughout it. It's Clay, it's Steph, it's Dre, and it's Steve Kerr, and then you throw in like Myers up there in the uh, in the GM office. But right now, off what what would you what would you say this championship means for the Warriors in defining their legacy as like one of the all time great teams? Dynastic dynasty, really. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, they're the only other they're the only team since the Chicago Bulls to be in six out of the last eight NBA finals. Uh, That is some historic, historic stuff. Sure, LeBron James has done it all by himself, but to do it with one specific core, like you mentioned, that is something that is really, really unparalleled. They, they can cement themselves as one of the greatest teams of all time. They already are one of the greatest teams of all time, one of the greatest cores of all time, but this would cement them further. And I mean, if you think about the legacy with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, over the past couple of seasons, a lot of people had counted them out, them out. You know, they're old now. Oh, no, never mind. They can't do it anymore. They're probably their windows closed. This is all done, right? But now you I mean, look, we're, we're back here. This is a really, really defining moment in Steph Curry's career that quick watch. Right. He's never had a finals MVP. That's something that's always been harped on, even though it shouldn't be harped on. This is the moment where you can really look at and say, OK, everything is coming together to, to kind of round out a Hall of Fame top 10 all time type of career for Curry. That's why this championship is so important, because it's proven to the people that 
you know, said, oh, they only won because of Durant or, oh, they're too old and, and they're too injured now. The window is closed. It's proving to those people that they were absolutely wrong. So for me, like the Durant piece is so fascinating because he goes from like the reason they won those uh, two with him and they went to those three straight finals to just like another piece in history. When we look back, right. it was like, OK, just another player on one of the Warriors championship runs. Like, do you feel the same way about how Durant's going to go down if they actually pull this out of versus Boston? I think so. Um, I mean, not necessarily that he'll just be another player. He still is Kevin Durant. But I, I do think in the sense that, look, when KD got there, he he was he accepted being like into the offense of the Warriors. He was accepted, you know, essentially, look, I'm going to play my role. I'm going to do what I have to and beat play within this offensive system that's about sharing the ball. Um, and they he bought into that, and that's why they have two more championships now. And you know the Warriors are a dynasty, but at the same time, I, I think it it kind of underrated how good the Warriors were prior to Kevin Durant. I mean, this is a team that won seventy three games in a season. One uh, Steph Curry had a unanimous MVP before that. Draymond Green, a Defensive Player of the Year before that as well. So they have this core that has proven that they can win without a Kevin Durant. But now, I guess in 2022, this is about the cherry on top. This is legitimizing uh, or, or actually, you know, negating any type of skepticism when it comes to the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and it feels like kind of the media forgot about the Warriors and that they the two years in between uh, yeah. the championship runs when when Clay was out and Steph was out for a bit and Draymond was in and out of the lineup that the media kind of they rode them off. They're like, okay, that era's kind of done, and we'll see yeah. what happens when they come back. And like seeing seeing Clay kind of warm up to the game again, like he's he's not a hundred percent like twenty eighteen Clay again, but he's getting yeah. there. And the more games yeah. he plays, he's kind of he's kind of getting back to that old Clay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, he's uh, and I'm excited for what he looks like next season because he's really shaping into form. I mean, um, what he was in 2019 prior to the injury was probably his prime, uh, just in the sense that he was he was firing on all cylinders. He was figuring it out defensively. And I think now we're seeing him slowly get to that point. It's going to take a while. Obviously, a guy who's dealt with two massive leg injuries, the injuries that some players don't ever come back from. Uh, it's it's going to take a lot of time for him to get back to it. But, you know, especially in game six, uh, sorry, game five against the the Mavericks, he really showed out. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm glad that Clay is back. It's generally one of the most, um, I don't, I don't want to say improbable, but impressive uh, mm -hmm. comebacks in, in sports recently. It's it's really, really insane. Yeah, and it's like heartwarming too, because like no one roots against that guy. Like yeah. he's, he's everyone's second favorite player, you know. So, <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool to see that, and like all the all the NBA players love him too. He's just a he's a good dude. And like Steph, you mentioned uh, briefly off the top, he's never won an NBA Finals, which seems like the weirdest kind of stat amongst their whole legacy that uh, amongst their three uh, championship wins, Steph has no NBA Finals MVP. Yeah, and for for his legacy here, just alone. He he's the one like he he's the one piece in this whole thing where like everything runs through Steph, the entire team, the organization and everything. And like for him personally, he's got to be gunning for this extra hard just to like put away any any rest that he isn't exactly. top five all time, top 10 all time, you know, wherever you want to rank him.
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's about defining your legacy. I mean, it, it really is a cherry on top because when you think of a guy who has back-to-back MVPs, the first unanimous MVP in NBA history, three-time NBA champion, just won a Western Conference Finals MVP, if we want to add that to the accolades, multiple All-Stars, um, changed the game forever, revolutionized the game of basketball. You add all those things to his resume, there's really nothing left for him to do other than add this finals MVP to his belt. Um, the repertoire keeps growing for him. I think he's a guy, especially at his, the way that he plays that he can play for a very long time. He mm-hmm. can, he can end up going until these 37, 38, 39, just because of the way that he plays. He's not, it's not like he's demanding any type of athleticism. Um, you know, it, his body isn't, you know, being put under pressure that way, but that it's, it's, it's a defining moment for him. This NBA finals is he going to cement his legacy or will there always be question marks? Is it going to be Jordan Poole who comes out and steals the show? Is it Draymond, you know, Clay Thompson, maybe even heroic comeback. That would be pretty cool. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Is it, if they win this one, do you see them hunting down the Jordan Bulls? Do you see them getting six? If they get this one, can they get two more? Like, Uh, it's tough, but I don't know. Yeah, it, the, the tough is an understatement. I mean, look, the Western Conference is really, really, really tough now. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they're going to be coming back. The Clippers are at full strength. Uh, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. with the Nuggets, Jokic and them, they should be at full strength. Um, there's still teams coming like the Pelicans and Grizzlies and Timberwolves who are feisty and fun to to deal with. It's going to be tough on them. There's, there's no question. I think this is a very, very good opportunity because – you know, the, the, the cards kind of fell right. Their ducks were in order and, and, you know, things kind of got into the right spot for them to be in this position, but to see them going back to an NBA finals, and it's crazy because we're probably saying the same thing and they're going to prove us wrong again, <laughs> but um, to see them getting back to an NBA finals after this is, is a lot harder in my opinion. It's not impossible, but it's going to be a lot harder. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. like you can look at it as okay, they they have the the younger pieces coming in, you know, like sure. Wiseman's yeah. gonna mature and Pool's only gonna get better. So uh, as the superstars yeah. age, they got the next kind of yeah. uh, rotation coming up. Next wave. Yeah. 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 It's just it's just money gets tight at that point, right? That's you got to start paying these players, and it's like Jordan Pool is is coming up for an extension. Andrew Wiggins is coming up for an extension. Uh, you know, the the Kamingas, the Moody's of the world, they'll be extension eligible in, I believe, three seasons. So, like, the, the money is going to start tightening up if if you still want to pay Steph, Dre, and Clay. So, there will always be that question. But, look, I've said it before. Um, the, 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 the Warriors are trying to follow the Spurs model of continued dominance. Spurs ended up winning for 20 years, 20-plus years. And it's because they had a foundational guy who didn't care about the money, didn't care about role, whatever. He was just playing basketball, and that was Tim Duncan. If you're Tim Duncan, if you're Steph Curry, can be like a Tim Duncan and say, look, I'm just here to play basketball. Y'all do whatever. Y'all make my role, whatever. Pay me whatever, and I'll go ahead and do it. Then, yeah, then you, you'll be able to have continued dominance through the rest of his career. But in this in this climate, in this, in this NBA, where we have so much player movement, guys wanting to have bigger roles, et cetera, et cetera, at, it's it's a lot harder to accomplish mm-hmm. with the uh, with the player movement stuff. I feel I feel like that's perfect to move over to Boston because mm-hmm. there's there's two big things I think that the league will take away and the NBA media will take away if Boston ends up winning this. The first one being uh, the star hunting. 
Boston didn't star hunt. And when they did with Kyrie Irving, it, it was the complete failure. And, yeah. and right now, you, you got Tatum, you got Brown, you got Smart. The three homegrown guys that, that they've been just trying to every single year, we'll run them back out, we'll run it back and see if these guys can do it here. And I think like the big takeaway, if Boston were to end up winning this championship, is that you don't have to go with big star hunting. Even Golden State, like you can take away that from, from their team as well if they win. But I think like Boston will be like, okay, we're in a new era of the NBA where you need these guys that are controllable for a long time that you get through the draft to actually win an NBA championship. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think in a lot of ways, look, the same thing applies to Golden State because they look with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. They drafted all those guys. Mm-hmm. All those guys were guys that they drafted and had control over for eight plus years. So it just made it so much easier for them to build around those guys once they got to the level they were at. Same thing applies to the Celtics. And look, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are so young. This is something that we constantly overlook is like, look, they're at the NBA finals when they're 23, 24 years old. This is very reminiscent of, say, an Oklahoma City Thunder making it to the NBA finals in 2012, 2012 it was. Yeah. So like making it there at that moment, at this stage, being especially going up against a very veteran team. This NBA finals reminds me of that. But. I don't think they go out the same way OKC does where the experience is a hurdle that they have to come across where, you know, they kind of seem lost in the wind of the whole NBA finals being this massive platform. I don't think that happens to Boston because they have these veterans in an Al Horford, in a Marcus Smart and guys who kind of they haven't been to the NBA finals, but they've been in so many different situations that I don't think that whole experience thing will matter as much. When it comes to the legacy and what this means for the Celtics and, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, it's adding it's 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 an incredible start for Jason Tatum's career. Incredible start. Think about the all NBA teams that he's had. He's reached the West, uh, the Eastern Conference finals multiple times already. And now he's in his first NBA finals. I mean, the sky really is the limit for a guy like that who has achieved so much in such a short amount of time. So. Mm-hmm. And he's he's the next piece that I was going to reference on what it means if they win the championship because I, I made my my little list of of the t- superstar tiers and if Tatum wins this NBA Finals I think he jumps right. into top tier right I I have I, I if he wins I put him amongst LeBron Giannis Jokic Kawhi Durant then it's Tatum right. And right now he's in he's in that second bubble where it's like Luca, uh, Jaw, Embiid, Butler. Like right. that's where I ha- if, if he wins here, do you have him jumping up to that top one with the with the big guys? I mean, tier wise, yeah. I think I think the conversation always ends up shifting depending on who wins. Think about twenty twenty with the bubble, the Lakers, and how incredible Anthony Davis played. Everybody said, okay, you know, Anthony Davis is now the best player in the world, right? <laughs> Uh, that clearly changed after that. And there were very, very different opinions of him. There's currently very, very different opinions of Anthony Davis now. And we see Nikola Jokic and Giannis kind of take him over. The same the same thing applies to, let's say, Kawhi in 2019. After Kawhi's incredible run, everybody was like, this guy is the best player in the world. While And while, by the way, he, he very so had a great, great, um, I guess, claim to that throne in 2019. It's tough to it's tough to throw that his way. I I do think that with Tatum, he is elevating himself to top tier status. I would say he's a top ten player in the NBA. I think this season he was a top ten player in the NBA. That's why he earned a an All NBA second team nod. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there's no question. Like he's he's in that upper echelon. He's he's gonna skyrocket. It's between 
the three rising stars right now in the NBA are John Morant, Luka Doncic, and Jason Tatum. Those are the, those are the three guys that are catapulting themselves into superstardom, and it's uh, it's really really fun to watch. Yeah, and and watch out for for Ant Man Anthony Edwards. I yes, believe sir. he's going to hop there uh, probably you know next season or the year after. Like I believe, Thank you. I think that guy's got all the time. You're an ant truther. You're an yeah. ant truther. I like it. I like it. I like it. I am. I am. All right. So so on the court, uh, five on five, the matchup between the Celtics and the Warriors. Uh, I it's, it's looking like a battle between uh, the an extremely great defensive team versus uh, the best offensive team in the in the Warriors that we see in the yeah. playoffs so far. Where how do you see this matchup uh, playing out on the court? Uh, who wins? What do you got? How did it play out? Yeah, it, it's tough, man. I was I was th- talking about it yesterday. I really do think this could go seven games um, because this is the best defense that the Warriors have faced so far in these playoffs. And this is the best offense that the Celtics defense has faced so far into the playoffs. Uh, so I, I really do think it's like a, a match made in heaven. If you're a basketball person, you're just it, it's really, really something that you should be looking forward to because Whatever the Celtics can throw at the Warriors, the Warriors can throw right back at the Celtics. And it's just going to be a clash of a kind of like fire and ice because one team is going to be scorching hot offensively. They'll know how to figure it out. And they're still good on defense, which is the Warriors. And then on the other side, it's a team that may struggle offensively sometimes to create good shots for themselves. Uh, They rely on the three a little bit too much and they rely on pull-up jumpers, can't really get to the rim. But at the same time, they have an otherworldly type of defense that we is rare and we haven't seen yet in the Boston Celtics. So it's these clash of contrasting styles um, that makes it such a such a intriguing matchup. I've got the Warriors in six. That's what I have. That is my prediction. I think the Warriors will end up winning in six. I think the big reason for that is I just don't know if uh, if Boston's offense can end up sustaining and staying alive against the Warriors as much as the Warriors' offense can stay alive against the Celtics' defense. I think that the Warriors will have a lot more counters for the Celtics' defense because they're they're essentially, they're, their MO is ball movement. They love to move the ball. And the Celtics' defense, which is switch heavy, which which likes to throw a wrench at guys who, who like to move, uh, who like to play ISO basketball, uh, that's not the Warriors' style, and that's not something that they can kind of put their, hang their hat on, is... The Warriors aren't going aren't to end up playing ISO basketball for, uh, you know, stretches of the game. They're going to move the ball around. They're going to be they're going to be trying to share it, share the rock, and find different ways to generate offense. I think that's going to be an issue for Boston because most of the teams that they've played in these playoffs aren't like that. They're either playing through a Giannis, they're playing through a Jimmy, they're playing through a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie. Ball movement isn't really the mo of the three teams they've seen. This is a very very different team. And uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to see how the Celtics defense counteracts that. Yeah, I've, I've got the Warriors winning the series, too. I think it'll go seven. But uh, I, I like your pick of Warriors in six. The one thing that does concern me uh, is is the Warriors defense against Boston. Like you you mentioned, we're worried about uh, Boston being able to get their offense going. Um, yeah. But like Jason Kidd kind of called out the Warriors when, when he said they play a lot of zone. And what he meant by that was that when, you, when yeah. you're playing a lot of zone, it's because you can't keep up man to man because you don't have the the personnel to cover uh, the team you're playing. And I worry about Boston Tatum in particular taking advantage of that. But then I look at him and it's like, okay, Wiggins has been spectacular. 
He's been yeah. a great two-way player. And if, if Wiggins is, is tasked with covering uh, was, um, Jason Tatum there, he can do a great job. Like I, I'm concerned about the Warriors' defense, but then I'm like, okay, they could probably get it done, and Kerr can probably scheme his way out of this like he's done in the three series before that. I'll give you an interesting stat, uh, and I believe I saw this on Twitter at some point in time, but the Celtics actually, I believe it was the Celtics and Raptors that saw the most amount of zone in the season, most amount of zone um, throughout the season. And that's because teams were essentially daring them to shoot. You see, we've we've talked about it with the Raptors and with the Celtics, it was kind of the same thing. But the, the, the reason is. You know, their their role players started to hit their shots. The Grant Williams of the world started to hit their shots. The Peyton Pritchards of the world start to hit their shots. So now it, it's going to be like, all right, cool. Are those guys going to be able to hit their shots against the Warriors defense? Will the Warriors end up throwing the zone if they're struggling to shoot the ball? And that adds a whole wrinkle to it as well. I, I do think, though, at the end of the day, the Warriors defense is good enough to, mm-hmm. to stop what the Celtics want to do, which is drive and kick. The Celtics, all they want to do is drive, kick, create an open three, and hope for the best from there. I think the Warriors are actually very, very like they're 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 well rounded enough on defense to be able to figure that out. That's why I think it's Warriors in six and not seven. I could totally see it going seven though. I could totally see it going seven. It would be a lot of fun. I'd be down. Yeah, and uh, just for like the home fans, you want them to win it, win it at home, right? Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Do it at Chase Center. Uh, so last time you were here. Uh, a bunch of Raptors stuff has, ha- has unfolded. Big, big Raptors all-time stuff. We've got we got them losing to the Sixers, obviously. We got uh, Siakam All-NBA. We got um, Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year, which is amazing. And the thing I'll start with is something you brought up to me before the show. There's OG news about other teams being interested in him? Yeah, so uh, Bleacher Reports, Jake Fisher reported this morning. Uh, it might be yesterday morning if you're watching it. But um, yeah, they reported that essentially the Portland Trailblazers, Utah Jazz, among other teams, are interested in OG Ananobi. Um, I, I do want to kind of clear the air here because I, I think a lot of people on Twitter were saying, look, uh, does this mean the Raptors are interested in trading OG? Oh, my God, what does this mean? It, that doesn't necessarily mean that. It actually means that the other teams are interested in his abilities because he's this, you know, three and D shot creating while well, he's developing his shot creating, um, you know, kind of offensive guy can play defense. All those all those abilities that we've talked about with OG Ananobi, the versatility that he brings because he's such a. Uh, an enigma of a basketball player. Yes, he's gauging interest. Yes, a lot of people like the fact that he can bring exactly what they're missing to their basketball teams. The Portland Trailblazers and Utah Jazz are missing these wing defenders, these these elite wing wing guys who can kind of guard, uh, you know, two to four or one, two to five, one to five. Those are the type of guys those 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 teams need. So it's just it's uh, it's it's a non-story in my opinion. I will say though that it is. An interesting time to be a Raptors fan because there will be decisions that have to be made. Fred Van Vliet is end up is going to be end up you know extension eligible. Gary Trent Jr. is also extension eligible in 2024. It's Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi that are going to be extension eligible and, and free agents. These are these are the things that you have to look at and, and see. Look, like the Warriors, and we talked about money is getting tight. The Raptors' money is going to end up getting tight as well. And you have to consider the fact that one of these guys is going to be the odd man out. Is it going to be OG Ananobi? Is it going to be Gary Trent Jr.? Is it going to be, you know, Precious Achua? I don't know. I don't think anybody does other than the Toronto Raptors right now. But um, it will inevitably be 
something that is of consolation for them. It is it is going to be something that's worth it to them, which is a star. In all honesty, Mm -hmm. they were they're going to be trying to shop these guys if they shop these guys for that final piece. I don't want to say the Kawhi Leonard piece because that's the thing that gets thrown around a lot. But that final piece, which is a, you know, a a shot creator, a guy you can go to 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 get you a bucket, et cetera, et cetera. So is that is that kind of what you learned from the Sixers series? Because that's what I took away from it was that they don't have they don't have the guy that Siakam can be a great 1B, but he's not necessarily the 1A, and that they'll need another shot creator to go. They'll need that on the court if they want to win those types of series. Yeah, I just I think it depends on what kind of what kind of expectations you have for your team. Um, if you're expecting to be a first round out, maybe a frisky second round team, I do think Siakam can end up being your 1A. It's just that you have to supply him with with pieces around him that work. Siakam was was dealing with maybe some of the worst spacing we've seen in the NBA uh, just because we the Raptors don't have a lot of shooters, especially with Fred Van Vliet being, you know, kind of playing on one knee and OG Ananobi, um, you know, he's really the only other shooter other than Gary Trent Jr. that you can trust. The Raptors don't have a lot of spacing to work with. So, you know, Pascal is is dealt kind of left dealing with Scotty Barnes on the wing or Precious Achua on the wing. And while those guys are going to develop their three-point shot, it wasn't the perfect situation for him to be at his best, in my opinion, in round one. And we saw that in game six where the Sixers were just helping off of Scotty Barnes, saying, we dare you to shoot. Go ahead, shoot 20 shots. Go ahead, we'll, we'll, we'll live with it. That's, that's going to be something the Raptors obviously have to address. I think if they want to build around Pascal Siakam, shooting and ball handling and playmaking is the number one concern for them. Um, in terms of like, you know, what what to add to this team, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, you want to be able to add a, another guy, a, a star, you know, I'll throw out some names here, a Donovan Mitchell, a Shea Gilgis Alexander, one of those types of players that can be your shot creator, a guy that puts pressure on the rim, a guy that can, you know, shoot the ball for you, a guy who can create his own shot and create shots for his teammates. Those are the type of players the Raptors should be looking for if they end up doing a consolidation trade. And, you know, it, big, big if in this scenario. But And uh, Siakam, All-NBA, Scotty, yeah. Rookie of the Year. The mm-hmm. Scotty one in particular, that you kind of drove the ship online for the, for the <laughs> Scotty Roy <laughs> parade. What, is that, what does that mean to you personally when you're hammering something so hard before it happens and then the voters end up agreeing with you? Well, I just want to say, look, I know y'all watch my video, you know, (laughs) I know y'all watch the video. It's okay, voters. I appreciate you. Listen, that's what I'm there to do. I'm there to supply. No, I'm I'm kidding, guys. Uh, Look, when it comes to when it comes to Scotty Barnes, though, it's uh, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. He he blew. He shattered any type of expectation Raptors fans had for him, any type of expectations NBA fans had for him. You know, a lot of people thought he wouldn't be the score. He was he wouldn't he wouldn't blow out and, and kind of be the player he was in his rookie season. So it, it's great to see him do that. And when it comes to, you know, pushing the pushing the agenda for it, I really do think that at the end of the, at the end of the day, he was the rookie of the year. He was. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to the consistency he had, his importance to what the Raptors were doing this season, the versatility of what he had, the different hats that he had to wear throughout the season, all of that kind of came into my my reasoning for why he was the rookie of the year. And I think, you know, as the voters would, they agreed. Right. So 
Appreciate y'all watching my video, though. Respects. <laughs> all of the, all of them just they they got in their in, inbox. They all sat there yeah. and watched. And they're like, yeah, he's rookie of the year. <laughs> Last thing, I wanna I wanna make sure we get this in. You started a new series on uh, YouTube Shorts, which is like a new thing. It's 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 pretty cool. Um, yeah. Your series is called The Day That Defined. It's on the Scores YouTube channel. Can you talk about uh, the first episode and the series as a whole? Yeah. So uh, thank you, by the way. Appreciate you letting me plug this thing in. But um, the day that I find it's, it's going to be a 10 part series. We may be able to extend it later on, but a 10 part series um, talking about some of my favorite players from the early 90s, late 2000s, early 2000s. First episode is on Kobe Bryant and his competitive nature. It's about uh, a battle between him and Michael Jordan in the All-Star weekend in 2003. It's a really cool story. Uh, there's more like that that's coming up. We have LeBron James, we have Steve Nash, we have a couple of other guys that I, I don't want to mention because they're going to be fun to fun to bring up. But yeah, that's that's the series, man. The, the series essentially is supposed to be about a one singular, undeniable quality about a basketball player and telling a story around that. So everybody knows Kobe's competitive nature. We wanted to tell a story that defined Kobe's competitive nature. When we talk about LeBron, a lot of people talk about, you know, his clutchness, which I think a lot of people are like, clutchness? What do you mean LeBron is clutch? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, LeBron James is clutch. And I'm about to show you guys with his story. So that's that's uh, that's the that's the spiel. Nice, nice. And if anybody out there who's watching or listening, you want to check it out, it is in the description of this podcast below. Just click the link and you could watch that first episode. S, thank you, digital content host producer for The Score. Thank you for joining us today and congratulations on your uh, two-time podcast appearance award that you earned today. Appreciate you. Let's make it three, baby. Let's make it three. <laughs> Let's go. It is 19 plus for this next part of the podcast because we are going to be talking about gambling and wagering and on sports interaction. There are many bets I want to go through, but most importantly, there are responsible gaming tips and helpful resources in the description of this podcast. Find them there. And sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN if you want to get involved in any of these bets. And I got it open in front of me here. And I'm heading over to the NBA Futures because we just we just talked a lot about Warriors, uh, Warriors Celtics. And what jumps out to me, I always like these because the playoffs have been running now for month and a half in in the NBA and the uh, NHL. And the bet I really like when I'm looking at, okay, I think I got an idea of how this series is going to go. I like the bet of when will the series finish? Sports Interaction always has this pre-series and like during the series as well. You can always hop on them, but the odds get, they don't get as nice. You know, they get, they get lower. So you can't win as much. But like pre-series right now, Celtics Warriors, when will the series finish? You can bet on six, seven, five, or four. Worst odds, four, then five, then seven, then six. According to the odds, six games is the most likely finish of the series. It's 2.85 times your money. So almost three to one that the series will finish in six. So if you, if you bet that, like in comparison, why I like this bet so much? Because in comparison to just picking the series outright, like, okay, who wins? Boston, Golden State. So Boston's the underdog. It's 2.2 odds that they win. It's 2.2 times your money. Boston wins. They're the underdog. Golden State's 1.62. 
So with the when will the series finish bet, I think you got a great opportunity here with, I think it's going to be six or seven. So there's really only, there's, I, I'm cutting out four. Like, I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I don't think it's going to be five. I think both teams, uh, they probably split the first four. Then we're going six or seven. Narrow that down. Whether you feel it's going to go six, whether you're going to go seven, the odds are better than if you just pick the team to win. Plus, this in this bet, like who cares who's in front? You know, like if you have no rooting interest, who cares then if the Warriors or the Celtics are ahead going into Game Six or going into Game Seven? You're just trying to predict will it end in six or seven? So, I always like that bet when I'm looking at uh, these playoff matchups ahead of time. Uh, that's what I got there. And if we head over to the Colorado Edmonton series, I don't know if you're listening to this or watching this before or after that series is is underway. It begins tonight based on when I'm recording this right now. It's the same thing. It's I, I look at the series the same way. Like that's the bet that jumps out to me. And the funny thing about this series is the, the odds are even better on the payouts of if you think it's going to go six or seven. Uh, it's actually equal 3.1 that it will finish in six games or seven games. So that's actually three to one of your money and a little better than three to one, actually. And the last thing from this series in sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN, the McDavid versus bets. Now, these are both even on both sides. It's 1.85 for both options, but they have on sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. McDavid versus McKinnon, who has the most series goals. Then they have McDavid versus Dreisaitl, who has the most series goals. Those two bets are so much fun, and I have no idea how they're going to go. You know, for me, I lean towards Dreisaitl having more goals than McDavid. I lean towards McDavid having more goals than McKinnon. Oh, maybe. Uh, no, maybe I'm doing McKinnon. All right. It might be. Just hear me out. Hear me out. We know Connor puts up his points through assists. He can. He can get all. I, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not. Doing, I was gonna make the argument for McKinnon beating McDavid in the most series goals category, but I'm not doing that. I will, however, lean on Drysaddle because McDavid's gonna be the guy feeding him the puck. Drysaddle's gonna be the one finishing uh, with his busted foot. I think it's a sprained right ankle. He's not gonna be getting around the ice dishing out assists. He's gonna be the guy setting up, uh, waiting for the waiting for the pass finishing. So I got Drysaddle over McDavid in the most series goals. And I have McDavid because I think Edmonton has a real shot at winning. Or did, did you hear that, Curly? I, I, I paused just in case you, you misheard me. I'm leaning towards taking Edmonton in the series. And if that's the case, they probably do a great job shutting down Nathan McKinnon. Connor McDavid somehow squeaks out more goals than McKinnon in the series. So I'd be taking Connor McDavid in that bet. That's it for me today. And if you want to get involved in any of those uh, bets, as always, 19 plus, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's it for me today. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. I have a live stream tomorrow, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash SDPN live. If you want to come watch me play the Stanley Cup final 
with a fantasy drafted team. We drafted through the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was fantasy draft, though. We drafted a really good team. We are in the Stanley Cup final in year number one. Take that, everybody who says I'm a bad GM. No salary cap, though. So not, not like entirely even fair rules, you know. No salary cap. Just having fun. Um, we're in the Stanley Cup final. We're up 3-1 over the Dallas Stars, who fantasy drafted McDavid and Tavares. Funny, we just, I bring up this, and then we were just talking about McDavid. McDavid, who's who we're playing in the Stanley Cup final, they have McDavid, Tavares, 1-2 down the middle, and we're playing them. We're up 3-1 in the Stanley Cup final. So the question is, can the Leafs hold on to a 3-1 lead? We will see. I'll catch you there, and I'll catch you on the Steve Dangle podcast on Wednesdays, as per usual. Thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here right now listening to this or watching this, and I appreciate you very much. Have a great week. I'll catch you next week on this podcast. Take care. And that is how it's done. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Jesse Blake, the guy that likes to hear his name twice in one sentence. Sure, I know him. No, he doesn't have an ego at all.